Tonight we will be in 1 Peter chapter 2. Verses 21 through 25. Let's pray again together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. God, I pray that Jesus would have our full attention and that we would be captivated by him and what he's done. God, 40 days is not enough time to wrap our minds around his sufferings for us. And Lord, every day for the rest of our lives and on into eternity, we will be contemplating and praising what you have done for us, Jesus. But I pray that tonight and for the next 40 days, I pray that you would give a special blessing, that you would help us to more intensely understand what you have done. And God, we pray that this 40 days wouldn't end on itself, but God, that this would maybe be a U-turn for some of us, God, or maybe this would be a, a resurgence or a revival in our own hearts from what we do in this season. God, I pray that you would bless it. We thank you for your word, for your spirit, and for your people. In Jesus' name, amen. The season of Lent. So as we have hinted towards the season of Lent, though not required or mandated, and this isn't a situation where like you can't have meat on Fridays, and this isn't a situation where we're going to be watching what everyone's doing and monitoring you, but we thought this would be a helpful tool for preparation. For Lent is the season leading up to Easter. The, the themes of Lent are repentance and self-denial. For we know that Jesus, though never repented, was sinless and denied his own glory, denied himself earthly comfort so that he could suffer for us. Jesus chose a life of suffering, chose a life of righteousness, chose a life so that he could be the perfect sacrifice. This is the companion to Advent, which is the preparation towards Christmas. And those themes are anticipation leading up to celebration. Easter will be our celebration, but this is our, 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 our moving up towards it. So what we want, and while we'll do ashes tonight, ashes being this, this biblical symbol of mourning, what we want is for us to feel the full weight of our sin and Jesus' suffering so that sin could be paid for. That's our only goal. Jesus' suffering. Let's read 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21, starting in 21. And we'll stop and, and Wayne will continue. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. The book of 1 Peter, just a little background information, 
Peter is an apostle of Jesus. He followed Jesus while Jesus was on earth for three years. Uh, it was a very, uh, a man given to extremes. That one moment he is cutting off a soldier's ear because the soldiers came to arrest him. And the next moment, he is lurking in the shadows, watching Jesus, but not being participating. And while Jesus is being arrested and on trial, denies Jesus three times, saying, I don't know him, I don't know him, I swear on my life, I don't know him. But this Peter is restored by the Lord and called again to lead. And if you know that call, Jesus says, Peter, feed my sheep. Forgave Peter for his time of denying the Lord. Peter betrayed and denied, but because Jesus had died on that cross, he extended forgiveness. Even as Peter is denying the Jesus being arrested, that Jesus is ready and turned his face towards dying for those sins. Not to mention all of the other disciples except John who had scattered. Jesus took that cross because of their betrayal and ours. All of our sin and our betrayal and our times where we ignore the Lord and forget the Lord and we live for ourselves, Jesus died for that. The one thing we don't want Lent to be is we don't want Lent to be if you could muster up and if you could deny yourself enough, then maybe you'll be righteous. But that's not what this is. This isn't you're going to be extra saved or Jesus will love you more. But this is because he's rescued you and saved you, take every thought captive and make this time a time of reflection on what he's done. First Peter, that Peter is writing to a group of Christians who have now believed the same message. And there's an intensity, not, not yet full-on persecution, but the things are heating up against the Christian church. That sounds familiar at all. Things are be beginning a little to be a little hostile. See, Peter is developing two themes of suffering throughout 1 Peter. And, and, and these are the themes that we want to work through for Lent. There is suffering, as in circumstantial suffering, and then there's also this voluntary suffering. And by voluntary suffering, we mean simply self-denial. That I'm choosing to do things in my life so that I can focus better on Jesus and love my neighbor better. I'm willing to say no to my compulsions and my desires, either A, because they're sinful or B, because they might be good, but I want great. And that's the idea of fasting throughout Lent. Fasting is not a time that particularly we're saying, okay, you have this sinful thing that you do. Now's the time. You never fast from sin. We want to cease from sin. But this voluntary suffering is both we're going to say no to sin and perhaps for a time say no to certain things that might be distracting you or taking your focus off of the Lord. 
so throughout this season, we're just saying do two things. One, I hope everyone has a bookmark. If not, we will figure that out and remedy, remedy it. Starting Monday, we'll be reading a chapter of Matthew every weekday until Holy Week. Though that's not, you're not fasting, that, that's the putting on. Fasting is a taking off and a putting on. Take that time with the Lord in particular. Look through the life of Christ and watch what he does for you. And we will be preaching through the different vignettes of Matthew as we watch what the Lord has done for us. The fasting portion may be there is something that's getting in your way of doing that reading. So maybe it's hitting the snooze button in the morning. I know for myself, scrolling. Scrolling on social media. I, I know, I'm not saying that's a wholesale sin. I know for me, it distracts me. I could be spending time with my family. No one goes to the bathroom for an hour, men, so I want to call us all out. But instead of scrolling, we could be spending time with our family. We could be praying with our family. We could be reading scripture. So that's the idea. But we do invite you, read. Make sure you're reading every day with us. And we'll be, we'll be going through the life of Jesus together as a family. Peter tells them that these sufferings of Christ example that he did to pay for their sins is also an example. He says, you know, Christ suffered, leaving you an example. So th this righteous life of Christ, where he is totally dependent upon the Father, totally shunning away from sin, and living in humility, that's an example for us. Now first, it has to be your forgiveness before it can be something you can follow. If we could stress one thing, do not try to follow this unless it's first been forgiveness for you. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Jesus was the righteous judge who got off the bench, who took your placard of your inmate number who put his robes on you and gave you his gavel, and he went and took your death penalty. Done. Your sins are forgiven. Peter also tells us that those who are now forgiven, Jesus is inviting you and commanding you, follow me. What I have done for you, the same. Follow me. Do the same. Now, we're not dying on the cross for anyone's sins, but we follow Jesus in his mission where he'll say, the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. Later, in 1 Peter, over in chapter 4, Peter continues this idea. He says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in flesh, no longer for your human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality 
passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking, and drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. Notice, the voluntary suffering has brought circumstantial suffering. Because of the difference of the Christian life, the world is persecuting them. And this will happen with us. Because we're not giving ourselves over to the same kind of desires. And you might, not, you might think, well, I'm not sensual, I'm not drunk, I'm not having orgies, I'm not going to drinking parties. But Peter ends with idolatry. Every single person in this room, especially me, is guilty of idolatry. Now Jesus died to forgive that, and now he's calling us out of it. You've been forgiven, and you've been freed. The Apostle Paul has the, a similar idea, uh, as Peter says, this attitude of Christ. Arm yourself with the same way of thinking as Christ. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. This is what we're called to. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. Being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This Lenten season, the point is basic training. We want to prepare you for war. War against the flesh, war against the powers of darkness. So what we're going to do, read the passages together with us. We are going to shun from sin. Make this your excuse now more than ever that your addictions will go, that your, that your selfishness and your anger, whatever it is, you know what it is. I could list them. Make this your excuse. It's going to go. And we fast from good or maybe neutral things to focus on the better. Whatever it takes even, even if it's the snooze button, even if it's social media, whatever it is. Maybe it is a meal. That you want to take a meal that I, I have, if, you, if you're telling me I have absolutely no time to read today, I, I'm, I'm daring you. You can find time. I'm daring you. Find it. The Lord suffered for us, and we will suffer with him. Here's the promise of Lent. Just as Christ has suffered for you, Christ will also suffer with you. That he's gonna, he has put his spirit in you, in that when you deny yourself, deny your flesh, deny comfort, that you, you go away from the path of least resistance, which is our human 
hardwiring, you know that Christ has already walked it. Christ has already faced every temptation and won. So we ask him for his strength and ask him to lead us and guide us. But I think that, you know, what Pastor Stephen uh, is talking about is that, is that this, this walk is going to be a, a walk of suffering. Uh, as we follow the example that Jesus Christ gave us, it is going to be a, a walk of suffering. And I think that um, uh, we have to realize that um, it's in the midst of the suffering where we start to get discouraged. I don't know about you guys. What in the world are you doing here, James? Hey, from down south. Welcome. You got to be the farthest visitor today. <laughs> it's good to see you. Sorry. Yeah, I'm ADHD, but uh, James is the guy that grew up with us uh, over the years and can come back. It's good to see you. But what I have noticed is that, is that um, it's in the midst of the suffering that the difficulty happens. It's in the midst of the suffering that we start to get discouraged and we just start to say, is this thing really real? Is it? Or is it just, is it just a facade? And it's not real. And I'm suffering for no reason at all. In fact, I have, I have heard um, people said, in fact, the, the conversations over the last years have been kind of increasing. And that is um, one comment that I heard from a friend of mine that says, you know, I've never really seen any true transformed person. I've seen people who said they are, and maybe they do some good things, but are there really transformed lives? Like Pastor Stephen said, I mean, a life that is, is following the example of Jesus Christ who came into this world, rejected by this world. The, the world he created didn't even know him. And he walked among, um, isolated by most, only a few around him, choosing to suffer. And yet... A life that it says here in verse 23, when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he, when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. I want to propose to you today that it's actually the suffering that reveals the reality it isn't the comfort. It isn't that you, you've got all this stuff and you've earned all these degrees and that you've been able to graduate all these things that are really the true blessings in life. The true blessings are found at the feet of Jesus Christ as you're walking in the footprints of the dust that he's made for you. And as you walk that life and as you suffer through the life, that's the reality of true faith. Because that's when you're most like Jesus. Now, in a world of comfort, we don't believe that. In a world of comfort, we keep seeking the comfort. We're going to miss the whole point. 
My response to these people who say this about um, we haven't seen any true transformation in front of our eyes. I say, then you be the first transformed person. You be the first. Oswald Chambers says it this way, when Christ enters your heart, you'll be the most surprised person in the world. Because you're the one that knows you don't deserve it. And yet he did it for you. It says in verse 24 that he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Jesus boring our sins on the cross uh, is not something that was done to him, but done something, it was done something by him. Not only did he orchestrate, plan, and execute, but Revelation 3.18, or 3, uh, excuse me, 13.8 says, the lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. It was a plan that had worked out. In fact, in human history, there is no greater plan. Ford did not get anywhere close to the plan that God had to save your life. He planned it before the creation of the world. Think about that. When you think to yourself, it didn't work for me, it's a lie. It was planned before you came. The power and the reality of it is the fact that you were in his thought before you came to life. Think about that. And that as you move into his plan, I often say it this way, you can't fail. Now, there will be failures, there will be struggles, obviously, or suffering. But you can't fail. Because it's not you trying to hold on. It's him holding on to you. And he's been holding on to you before you were born. And I think that's something we ought to think about. Someone once said, The cross is the most certain and irrefutable event in the history of human race. And it affects and the effect is everlasting. Oswald Chambers says that the gate, the cross is the gate through which any and every human can enter into oneness with God. I think that one area where man seems to struggle with transformation is because it seems to be as just like this video I showed you. What seems to be as though that mouse was defeated actually became this victory as he overcame the trap. Jesus Christ overcame the trap. What man thought was death was actually everlasting life. What looks like weakness is actually the power to shake the very foundations of hell. They realized they were defeated by weakness. It's the same with you and me. In the world, we're, we're told to work toward our strengths, but the Bible tells us that's actually in our weaknesses that we are, that the power of God is revealed. The second place that men struggle with transformation is the effect. Effect is determined by production of physical perfection in both health and action. 
that when people don't seem to act right or when sickness comes or when things seem to go down physically, sometimes somehow we're drawn to say, did it really take an effect? Yes, it did. We must realize that Jesus did on the cross was for our souls and not for our bodies. We were to be spiritually saved and preserved in heaven for all eternity. The transformation is this. So we might die, verse 24 says, and live for righteousness. Dying to sin is learning to receive a new identity in Christ. Learning to put off the old man and put on the new. Living in righteousness is seeing our lives as a new place on this earth from a new perspective Living in the right place before God and growing in releasing our own agenda and receiving the good works that God has prepared for us in advance, according to Ephesians 2.10. It says here, if you notice in my, in my version, it says that we might die. I love that because I think that is discipleship. Discipleship is the fact of making a decision, like Christ did to go to the cross, we get to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. And it means dying to ourselves. It means dying to our agenda, dying to our own path and our own place and letting God show us the way that we should go. So you and I get to see our lives from a completely different perspective. No longer from success of the physical world, but from the success of the spiritual. A success that is moved by our oneness with God. And it says here that by his wounds you have been healed. See, we cannot separate the fact of the incarnation of 1 Timothy 3.16 where he appeared in flesh with 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. You cannot separate the reality that Jesus' death on the cross was mainly for our spiritual healing and that the resurrection is for our souls today and someday in the future, physical resurrection that's coming. We so want to, in a world of materialism, put the two as one. That if Jesus is really in my life, then my life will be physically successful. I will make a whole lot of money. I'll be be blessed in this world. It's not true. His biggest concern is your soul. His biggest concern is not the tent that you wear on your body, on your soul right now. According to Paul, the way he says it. And in in the 15th chapter, he says, The perishable must clothe itself with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. And so Jesus Christ came. He's our example. Even in the midst of insults, even in the midst of of being persecuted on this earth, he did not waver. He did not retaliate. He did not make threats. He entrusted himself to the one who is the just judge. We need to do the same. And in doing so, we learn to trust him. Verse 25 says, for you were like sheep gone astray. Anybody know they have a sheep and have gone astray at times? Okay, the rest of you are okay? You want to come up and teach? I mean, you know, because I need to learn from you if you're perfect, I'm telling you. But yes, every single one of us, I can give you a lot of sheep stories. I got them. 
And not that long ago. But trust comes in the fact that even though we're sheep, we believe in the one who died for us, and that's what causes us to return. That's what's keeping you away from returning. You don't believe that he died on the cross for you and that your life tonight. Trust him. But it can be. And if you'll tonight trust him, he will take on two forms for you. You see him right there. For you were like sheep who've gone astray, but now you have returned. Returned why? Because you trust in the Lord. And you trust him to do two things. First, to shepherd, and second, to be the overseer of your soul. Hmm. Shepherd because you trust that Christ is your life, and he will lead you and guide you to the way that your life should go. He's not like the uncaring hired help. He cares about you and he loves you. He will bring you to calm waters when you need it. He will lay you down in green pastures when you need to rest. He will bring you uh, and restore you. He is your feeder, your leader, your protector, your cleanser, and the restorer of the flock. This trust of his sustaining hand over your life. The second one is the authority, is the overseer. God is the one who watches over your life in regard to wisdom and knowledge and direction and gifting, hope and times when the world seems as though it's going to the dogs. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When it seems like everything is just an anxiety wants to come in, do you trust him to be your overseer? Do you trust him to have the authority to hold on to your soul? The Bible says that, that, the, that when you're following the Lord, that no harm can come to you. Now, that doesn't mean physically. It means to your soul. No one can touch your soul because he has his hands on it, and he's holding it as a precious jewel in his hand. In fact, the Old Testament says that he has engraved your name on his palm. He is holding so strongly onto you. He will lead you through physical and, and oh, excuse me, through physical and spiritual wars. This is the trust of authority over your life. If transformation is to be viewed from a physical world in a physical point of view, you will only see the trap and the dead mouse. But if you're willing to look at it through the cross of Jesus Christ, become the changed heart that the cross has the power to change, and trust in the one who not only shepherds you but oversees you, not only cares but has authority over you, you will see the Jesus that is the way, the truth, and the life the one who can bring you to the very threshold of the throne and bring you to the Father. And to pray that today, you know that, Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as Stephen and I have um, talked about this suffering road and even the difficulties that are brought along the way because of what our physical eyes see, I pray that, Father, that truly Jesus will be the example that we see, that truly we will see him who, who bore sin, who had no sin, the one who did not retaliate, 
when he was screamed at, and the one who trusted the true judge, his father, um, for, uh, for the justice that would be wrought. Lord, we need to walk the same path. Some of these people in front of us today are going right now through um, emotional suffering, physical suffering, and other sufferings that, addictive sufferings and other sufferings that we don't know about. But Father, today is a day in which, as Pastor Stephen said, we just desire um, uh, uh, to walk, instead of being blown by the wind of our suffering, that Lord, today, on Ash Wednesday, we want to turn around. We want to put our heads straight into the wind, believing what Jesus did on the cross, and say, this is, not gonna, this is gonna be suffering, but I'm gonna walk into the wind. You walked into the wind of the cross, I'm gonna walk into the wind of my suffering, and I'm gonna trust you to be the God that you say you are. I pray that for each and every person. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray, amen. Father, consecrate us, God. We ask that you would, as we mark the body with ash, as we mourn and we repent, God, I pray that you would mark us with something that can't be washed away and that would be changed hearts and changed lives. And God, bind us together, draw us closer to one another and closer to Jesus through this. In Jesus' name, amen. So you can stay in your seat if you'd like to contemplate for a while. We're going to have two lines here. You do not need to do this. It's uh, totally voluntary. Jesus voluntarily went to the cross. We're certainly not going to force you to do anything. But um, to go ahead and put a cross on your forehead. Uh, Emily will be backing us up with some beautiful music, and we will go ahead and put a cross on your forehead uh, in symboling that you have decided to follow Jesus with your life. So come up whenever you're ready.